welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Commander Monte with us. Commander Monte completed a residency in pediatrics followed by a genetics fellowship. As a clinical geneticist, she works with both children and adults, as well as OB and oncology patients. She's currently in her fifth year on the staff at NMCP. How are you doing today, ma'am? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to, to interview you. To start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what medical school you attended, where you went for residency, et cetera? I am from a Navy family, so I grew up moving around, Um, and uh, I told my dad the last thing I wanted to do was join the Navy, and then I interviewed at UCS, my pediatric residency in San Diego, and then was a general pediatrician in Pensacola before going to fellowship at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Hey, awesome. What made you choose San Diego for your residency? It was probably the palm trees outside the window of the PEDS workroom that really sold me on it. But I, I really liked the people at the program at the time, and I um, was excited to work with a lot of the staff and residents there. And why did you ultimately decide to join the Navy? So I think that the big reasons were that the patient population was one that I aligned with, right? I felt compassionate about the people that I would be working for. Um, I had grown up in the community and I really liked the idea of of giving back to a community that I had lived amongst um, my whole life. And so it was a a really neat opportunity to kind of follow in my father's footsteps a little bit and to join a group doing a mission that I agreed with. And it made med school a... um, a big plus for me um, because I felt like USIS was an incredibly supportive place for me to learn medicine. And why did you join USIS instead of doing the HPSP program? What led you down one path rather than the other? I think it had to do a lot with where I was accepted to medical school at and of the schools that I was accepted at. USIS was the best option. And so I think that it was just how the cards fell. And did you enjoy your time there? I did very much so. And then you um, finished your residency in pediatrics, what led you to pursue pediatrics? I think taking care of kids was the sunshine of my day, right? So it was the only rotation that I I went on that I would actually go and check on my patients um, before I left for the day. Everybody else, I'd kind of do the chart check and make sure their vitals were okay. And that nurses hadn't documented anything, but um, the kids I was stopping by to say goodnight to, and they were the ones that I would go home and read about. And so I I feel like if, if you can be surrounded by what is passionate for you, then, then you should look in that direction. Absolutely. That's a very true. I also want to go into pediatrics and I feel like PEDS is the, uh, like, I love all aspects of medicine, but PEDS is the one that I was really passionate about, about, or am very passionate about, and none of the others compared to, uh, to how I felt during my pediatric 
clerkship as well as I was a CNA at Children's Hospital Colorado and I absolutely loved doing that as well like that was my favorite job that I've ever had just because I would go into work kind of you know sometimes in a bad mood because I was working night shifts and I didn't sleep well and then literally within an hour of starting my shift like I was just smiling and super happy and glad to be there so that's how you I know right you page you don't mind getting at two o'clock in the morning right so exactly uh, I never did much when when people page me about little kids exactly um, I do actually have a specific pediatrics question for you. Often people say that they don't want to go into pediatrics because they don't want to deal with the parents, that they don't mind the kids, but then the parents can be challenging, um, obviously, because they're concerned about their, their kiddo and they're worried. And what has been your experience with that? Absolutely, right? It adds a whole nother dimension. It's not just one person in the room that you're caring for, you're, you're caring for the whole family. And I think that um, the minute you figure out how to convince the family that you're on their side, right, that you align yourself um, with the family that you have a common goal and your goal is, is to improve the health of their child, suddenly you have this really awesome team that you're working with and things go a lot smoother. Um, and I think remembering that the parents are scared and that they don't speak this language and that this is their one and only kid or one and only experience, even though it's your fifth gastro of the week, I think that's important. And so I, I generally try to align myself and I do pretty well with families. And how do you have that conversation with them, with the parents? I usually say something very similar, right? Like, Hey, mm -hmm. you know, you and I share a really common goal. My ultimate goal is, is to help so-and-so feel better, help them go home from the hospital. Right. And so, you know, these are the things that I'm thinking about. How can, how can I help meet your goals? Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, ma'am. And yeah. going a little bit more into genetics, why did you decide to do a genetics fellowship? I wanted to do critical care. So I really liked the NICU and the PICU. I was really good at intensive care medicine. I was really a bad human at everything else when I was in a unit though. I wasn't a really good daughter or a really good sister or a really good friend. And I was trying to kind of reconcile that decision with myself. Um, and I ended up collecting for my continuity patients, all of the people who had been discharged from those um, units and ended up getting really involved in complex care and managing multiple organ systems. And I started to ask a lot of why questions about why all of my patients had all these multiple things going on. And I really enjoyed following them long-term and um, and I couldn't really see myself giving that up for an ICU setting. And so I kind of sat back and looked what it was about ICU medicine that I really liked. And what I really, really enjoyed was being present for a turning point for families. You know, the, the guardrail on the, on the highway that um, if you can get them around the bend, you can kind of get them to a, a place of more stability. And I really loved that about ICU medicine. You kind of walk in and say, hey, I, I know this is a really scary time for you. And I've got this and I'm going to, I'm going to help you guys get through this. 
Um, and I liked that part of ICU medicine. Um, and so he was looking for a way to kind of combine that idea of being that kind of provider with my love of long-term care and getting to know families in a longitudinal way. And then when I kept asking all these why questions, uh, the geneticist sat down with me and said, well, let me tell you about what I do. And I, I really loved the idea that I could be there for these turning points and then continue that relationship on and follow them over their lifetime um, that I would get to do that complex care right? Of multiple organ systems. I wouldn't be stuck talking just about poop for the rest of my life. I can't imagine just one organ. I'm way too ADD for that. And I really, really loved um, answering why questions, right? Both for providers and for families. Um, I, I have an insatiable curiosity and I want to know why. Um, and so it really fit me very well um, and answered all of my needs as a physician. Thank you so much, ma'am. Have you always known that you wanted to do a fellowship or at any point did you consider stopping training after residency and being a general pediatrician? I did. Um, it wasn't till third year of residency that I really considered doing a genetic fellowship and I really enjoyed being a general pediatrician. I was a general pediatrician for three years and I really enjoyed that time. I applied three times to be a genetics fellow and then maybe finally approved on the third time. I think they got tired of reading my statement. Uh, so they decided they would, would just push me through. So persistence paid off for me, but I loved being a general pediatrician. I kind of uh, missed um, resuscitating brand new babies. That's one thing um, I missed about general peds. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't until late in my residency that I considered doing a fellowship. And then there were times during, while I was a pediatrician, I thought, well, if this doesn't pan out, I'll be happy with what I have. Okay. That's really interesting. Thank you. And where did you do your genetics fellowship, ma'am? So I did my genetics fellowship at Cincinnati Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. And did the uh, military pay for that or did you do a civilian fellowship? So um, I, the military paid for it, but it was a civilian hospital. Um, okay. So I did full time out service. So I earned time and rank while I was there and I received a paycheck from the military and the fellowship did not have to pay for me and I got to wear civilian clothes. So it was really awesome, but I uh, still belonged to the Navy during that time. Is it common for pediatric fellowships to play out in that manner, being in the military while working at a civilian hospital during fellowship? I, I think that there's a, a, a couple of different ways you can do fellowship. Um, that is one of the more common ways when there is not a an opportunity to train for that fellowship inside the military. Yes. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. And where have you been stationed and what different positions have you held throughout your military career thus far? Um, so after I did my residency, I stayed on in San Diego and was the chief of the residence for pediatrics in San Diego. And then I was a general pediatrician in Pensacola, Florida. Then I went and did my fellowship 
And then I came here to Portsmouth and I've been at Portsmouth ever since. And how many years have you served thus far? I have been on active duty for 13 years after graduating from medical school. Nice. And what do you like about pediatrics? And is there anything that you don't like about it? I think what I really, really like about genetics is the opportunity to collaborate with um, a lot of different um, specialties and a lot of different groups in the hospital. Um, So I am the consultant to the specialist, right? Um, And so I get called in when um, physicians have questions about patients. And a lot of times I get to work in very large multidisciplinary groups with some pretty awesome specialists. Um, So I really um, appreciate and love the brain think that happens um, and the idea that everybody kind of gets together to come up with a common plan to take care of the patient. Um, It's really um, an awesome way to practice medicine. And so that's, that's one thing I really um, think that we do well in military medicine in particular is uh, forming these collaborative groups um, to take care of patients. And is there anything that you don't like about pediatrics or being a geneticist? The notes are really long. Um, our EMR is is not as, as fancy as I would like, but no, I think... Um, I can't imagine waking up and doing anything else. That's awesome. That's so good to to hear, ma'am. And I mentioned earlier, based on our previous conversation, that you work with both children and adults and OB and oncology patients. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about general conditions that you work with um, and just common things that you see every day? Um, so for the pediatric population, a lot of times I will see, um, kids who are born with congenital anomalies or birth defects. I see people who have chromosomal, um, aberrations. So deletions or duplications in their chromosomes. Down syndrome is the classic example. So, um, I help with management for all of the known syndromes. Um, I see children with skeletal dysplasias and, and growth problems. Um, Oftentimes I'm called in when there is a whole lot going on and people aren't quite sure the underlying reason why. Um, And the idea is that um, it's hard to jump hurdles in the dark, right? So if you can turn on the light and see where the next hurdles are coming, then you can um, help families um, predict their future medical needs, right? And so that's the idea behind genetics. So um, a lot of patients who have lots of different diagnoses going on, or there's a um, question as to why they have a certain medical condition, I play a role in that. Um, so diabetes really, really, really young, um, high cholesterol that's very much too high. Um, all of those, I start to see um, cardiomyopathy that doesn't fit the classic picture. Um, adults with a family history of multiple people with cancer, um, that they'd like answers to, um, pregnant women with a fetus that has lots of birth defects. Um, so I play a role in all of those, um, Marfan syndrome, all of that, um, comes through genetics. Okay. And do you work with more children or adults? Um, I think that there are probably more pediatric referrals. Um, 
I have a pediatric geneticist in the community who lives um, right across the river from me. Um, and so the access for adults who have genetic needs is much more difficult. Um, so most genetics I say is probably 70, 30 pediatric to adults, maybe 80, 20. Um, but mining is closer to a 50, 50 split just because I have a resource who can also help with the pediatric patients since she works at the pediatric hospital. Okay. And then what, um, what other OB conditions do you tend to work with? Um, so mostly I work with OB when it comes to the health of the fetus and predicting what that child will need upon delivery. On occasion, I will get asked by the OB group to comment on whether or not a female um, should have an alternate delivery plan. Um, for example, the connective tissue disorders like Ehlers-Danlos, um, mm -hmm. or if she's safe to labor and things like that. Um, but most of the time it's about the condition of the fetus. Okay. That's very interesting. Thank you so much, ma'am. Um, how can we develop officership while in medical school? I think as a medical student, I think the number one thing is, is to really watch and really listen and really learn what's going on to kind of keep a couple of lists in your head, right? Um, what you see in your leaders that you really like and the kind of leadership that you would like to emulate someday. Um, and I think it's just as important to recognize and kind of um, tease out and parcel out all of the things that you don't like in leadership um, and how you would do things differently if you were in control. Um, it comes down to having that self-awareness um, when you learn about being a leader. And I think you learn from both good and bad leaders. Yes, ma'am. That's very true. I feel like uh, I just finished my third year and I feel like I did a lot of that with the preceptors that I worked with. I would say like, oh, I really appreciate that they do X, Y, and Z, but I don't love that they do these other things. And when I'm in their position, I hope that I emulate more of X, Y, and Z and less of the uh, um, uh, negative characteristics that I would potentially see. But most of them, most of my preceptors, they had all like really, really awesome um, leadership qualities and, and were really great preceptors. And how do we continue to be strong officers in the military as we advance in our careers? I think you really have to concentrate in the military on um, uh, self-motivated um, learning and leadership opportunities. Um, I think in medicine, you can very easily get bogged down in um, all of the requirements that are asked of you. Um, and so the idea of applying for another course or seeking that leadership opportunity um, is often daunting, right? I mean, you're already exhausted. We're already asking you to do a full-time job. Um, and then to do a leadership role on top is a lot. Um, but you don't grow unless you start doing those things. So take the course, um, ask, hey, which, which of these leadership opportunities is best for me? Um, keep, keep pushing, go to your bosses with a list and say, which one of these should I do next? Um, and and um, it starts to, to fall into place. And I think you mentioned that you were 
chief resident in San Diego. Is that correct, ma'am? I was. What was, I guess, like the process of becoming chief resident? So it was a position that I had to apply for. So I submitted my CV and my letter of intent um, and then went before the board um, that was deciding who the chief resident would be. And I um, interviewed for the position. And have you done any other courses um, outside of that that you mentioned in order to enhance your leadership skills? I have. So um, I did the, the chief's um, leadership um, opportunity. They had a course um, when I was becoming chief. I've taken a couple of leadership courses. Um, the military offers quite a few leadership courses. Um, and I've done the medical um, physician's leadership course. So every quarter, I think maybe every six months, the medical course sends out a pamphlet of available educational opportunities for physicians. And I try to pick at least one a year to pursue um, because I think it's important. USIS also has a traveling roadshow that works on physician development. Um, and so I seek those courses out when I can get them um, and I'm working. I just finished my teaching certificate. So um, I'm, I'm always trying to find the next thing to learn and grow. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, ma'am. Is there anything that you wish you knew as a medical student or intern looking back? I think that, um, I think the, the idea that you have to juggle plates or somehow keep balls in the air is a fallacy. Um, one of my mentors talked about having uh, fields to tend like farmers do. Um, and he said that, that farmers historically have way more acreage than they can tend in a single day. And that every morning the farmer wakes up and looks out at the field and says, okay, you know, which field needs my attention today? What needs to be watered? What needs to be weeded? Which field can I let run fallow this season? Um, and it, that introspective look, that, that constant going back and surveying all that you are um, in charge of um, and seeing what needs your attention now um, that allows you to manage more than you can do in one day. Um, I think if you have plates that are spinning or balls that you're juggling, things will fall and you'll feel like a failure. I think if you look at it as fields and you wake up every morning and you say, okay, what can I do today? right? Um, some days a field's going to need more tending. Some days a field needs to run fallow. And sometimes when you let a field run fallow, it turns out to be more productive when you plant it the next time. Um, not only that, but it implies that you can hire field hands to get help with your fields. Um, and so I think that, that we have to kind of shift this idea that you have to do it all and you have to keep it going continuously. Um, and really aim for this self-introspection um, and, and to come back and regrade yourself over and over again on how you're doing as a physician. How are you doing as a learner? How are you doing as a family member? How are you doing as a friend? Um, and I think that is a, a more realistic mindset. That's very insightful. Thank you, ma'am. I feel like I've started to implement that into my life a little bit more this year. I just took boards. And so while I was studying for boards, I um, 
texted all of my like friends, like, Hey, I'm going to kind of disappear a little bit for the next month. Like, don't call me unless it's an emergency and you need to contact me because I really need to focus. Um, and then as soon as I was done, I made sure to spend time with each of my friends and family members that I kind of, you know, had to, I don't want to say neglect, but like not pen that field at that time and focus on a more important field at that time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's very insightful. Thank you. Yeah, um, the, the great Joel Raff taught me that. I bet he's still in San Diego, so you'll have to look him out when you go. What was his name? Joel Raff. He's a pediatric hospitalist in San Diego. Okay. And what has kept you in the military, ma'am? I continue to really love the people I work with, um, the patients I serve and the collaborative effort all around me. Um, I, I, I am with a whole bunch of people who have a common goal. We all work together to accomplish um, really insurmountable feats. Um, and it is, it is something that um, really speaks to me. Um, I don't think I could find the equivalent as easily on the civilian side. And so it's that collaborative approach that I really um, value in the military. That's very true. Do you know how long you want to stay in at this point? Well, so I, I have two more years left on my commitment. And then I guess I will have to make some decisions. Um, but I only have five years left after that. So um, we shall see. I'll probably be in this chair for a long time. And then what advice do you have for students trying to get a Navy Pediatrics residency? Um, so I think that, um, you know, it took me quite a few times to become a geneticist. Um, I think that you have to follow your passion. You have to follow your heart. You're gonna get old no matter what. So you might as well get old doing what you love. Um, so don't be afraid to pursue what your heart says is the right answer for you. Um, to be willing to improvise and adapt and overcome, um, but don't give up on your dream. Um, don't settle for mediocrity, right? Um, if you don't fail, then maybe you aren't trying hard enough, right? So um, go ahead and get dirty, get muddy. It's okay to fail. It's what happens afterwards. How do you pick yourself up and move forward? Um, so um, the quote my um, residency mentor gave me um, was the one by Theodore Roosevelt um, that said, it's far better to dare mighty things, even though checkered by failure, um, than to fall amongst those souls who suffer much nor win much, um, because they live in this gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Um, and I think that that's really important, right? Um, you, you have to go for it. Thank you so much, ma'am. And my final question is, what are some pitfalls that we should avoid as physicians and officers? And pitfalls. I think a lot of times um, the assumption is, is that a military medicine is somehow a substandard option, right? Um, and I think that when you really sit down and get to know um, medicine on both sides of the aisle, right? I trained at a civilian fellowship um, and now work in a military institution. Um, there are fine doctors on both sides. Being a doctor is one of 
the um, most humbling experiences that I've ever experienced. And I have um, met some really incredible humans on both sides. Um, and so um, don't fall into this idea that somehow being a military physician is anything less. You know, I just like, cause you gave me another question. I do have one more. <laughs> um, did you, you mentioned that you enjoyed the collaboration uh, of working in the military and the camaraderie. Have you noticed a difference in a military setting versus a civilian setting in terms of camaraderie? I think so, yes. So I had a patient um, a couple of years ago who um, had some changes in her neuro exam. She was two and she was stationed in um, an overseas location. And the pediatrician called the developmentalist here um, and we had her medevaced up for an evaluation. Um, the evaluation happened within two weeks of um, that change the developmentalist noticed. Um, it was done by the developmentalist, the geneticist and the neurologist. She had an MRI that same day and a swallow study the next day. We made her, I called all of my friends and said, I need all of these studies and I need all these exams so that she can go to uh, the children's hospital for a possible clinical trial. Um, and we pulled off 14 subspecialty evaluations in a week. Um, I've never seen that type of response um, for patients at any other kind of location. Um, and so, yes, I do feel like um, the small military community, um, the um, work towards that common goal really benefits the patients and we all work together to um, get really impeccable results. And have you noticed a difference in terms of insurance in the civilian versus the military sector, ma'am? Um, for, for some things, yes, right? Um, so um, if I have a patient here that I want to have a study or a medication or a um, therapy, I don't need to kind of look into what insurance they have and whether or not that will be covered. And that was a part of what my job was when I was at a civilian fellowship, right? Um, would their insurance cover this exam? Could they get therapy? Um, if not, what other kind of uh, state aid could I sign them up for? Um, so that eases the burden some. Um, being inside a military hospital itself, there is some protection um, with how we work with TRICARE and what comes out of hospital budgets, et cetera. And so um, that also eases things a little bit. Um, but I know on the outside, TRICARE very much is, is more like any of your large um, insurance kind of networks. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. And that wraps up our episode with Commander Montez today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. And thanks for tuning in.